The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. In today's episode, we're going to reveal a new formula to you for business that changes everything. Right now, you're taught sales minus expenses equals profit. And that's the wrong formula. We're going to teach you a new one. Stay tuned and listen in. Today, our very special guest gets going to dig in deep about you know failures and successes and the challenges they face and how they overcome them. And my very special guest today is Rocky Lavani, who's from who's a chief profitability advisor for business owners. So, welcome, Rocky, to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, John. Excited to chat with you today. Cool. So have you read all those books in the background? I have. Good work. I've read uh, most of them. I haven't gotten to the email one. That's on the list. Right. I just finished Who Not How. Uh, but the rest, yeah, a good chunk of them I've read. I've got more scattered around. I'm, I'm working on this one. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Hurry. Okay. Yeah, see, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of like, I've got a lot of books. I've got a, I actually must have put them up a bookcase somewhere because basically I've got, a, I've got a couple of bookcases running and I sort of run about 10 books at a time. But I think that's that's probably an important thing for an entrepreneur is to read books because I think um, you don't learn, like you don't learn real life out of books, but you certainly get a good strategy out of it and a good insight into someone else's why they think. Well, you can learn from their mistakes or you can make them yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I think a decade and a day, right? All right. So, um, tell me a little bit about how you got to where you got to now. Like in terms of um, you, you know what, what you're doing now. Did you start off with a job in the first place? Is that typically the entrepreneur's journey? I I did. I was working for the majority of my life, and I I I call it retired. Mm-hmm. So I retired a couple of years ago and said. Now I want to do what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't like the seeds of what I do today were there when I was a teenager. I just didn't know how to take the knowledge I had and bring it to the marketplace. And I didn't understand the value that it had because it was essentially a whole new kind of marketplace. In a sense, and in a sense, not. So when I was a teenager, I was teaching accountants how to go from paper ledgers to electronic spreadsheets. And the program back then, the first one was called BusyCalc. Oh, yeah, I remember vaguely remember that one because I actually got involved in accounting software. Actually, it was one of the second largest sales distributors in the world. So it was very funny times back then, right? (laughs) I didn't realize how powerful spreadsheets were. I didn't realize the value that was there, but more so what I didn't realize my skill set is I can look at spreadsheets and see the story 
and where the problems are. And I can understand them. I just assumed people knew how to read their financial reports in business. I came to realize 98% of business owners have no idea what their financial reports say. Yes, yeah, absolutely true. Because I've, I've probably implemented, I think, I'm trying to remember how many accounting systems, maybe six, 700 or something, did about 3,000 interviews. And I found yeah, exactly that because when you went in, digged in and realized that they actually had no clue. They didn't read their financials. The accountant never sat down and actually talked to them about it. They said, oh, you made a loss of your profit if you're lucky. You know, you found that out. Oh, you got to pay tax. Right? That was about all they had to mm-hmm. worry about. And and we and I used to go and say, look, I could find $100,000 in an hour without even looking because you don't even look at your numbers. You don't, you know, and like I was I was looking through my um, things, the other, emails the other day, and I found a, a $15 a month charge that's mm-hmm. been going through that I didn't realize had been going through for a client that I don't even work with anymore that I've been paying for for two yeah. years. Right? Yeah. It's not a lot of Adam's money, but all it the sticks time. in your neck, right? That's like 15 bucks these guys got. <laughs> that happens more often than you can imagine at a larger level than 15 and multiply it. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you've got employees, forget about it because mm, each yeah. one of them is another multiplier on that. Exactly, exactly, because they add on costs that you don't even think of, like even toilet paper nowadays. Like, you know, like it's like it can cost you a lot of money because it goes through it. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the start. The, I think the hidden cost of staff is is, is a big one because, you know, I, I had a million dollar payroll at one point there, and you know, I, I reckon that it probably easily cost me a couple hundred grand more in terms of all sorts of things like staff mistakes, what they cost you in, in operating costs and losing laptops because they walk away without looking back to see whether the laptop was actually still at the coffee shop, <laughs> you know, a three grand laptop gone out the window. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of area, I think. And, and always th- we always had this rule that it was a 5%, plus 5%, minus 5%, <clears throat> minus 5% equals 67%. And that was the math that we used to work on. <laughs> And it doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> because it used to be like, if you increase your sales by 5%, decrease your cost of sales by 5%, and increase your, decrease your expenses by 5%, mathematically, you'll end up with a 67% increase in profit at least. Right. So let, let me, I, I tell a similar story. It, you're a million dollar business owner, right? So you got a million dollars in sales. You made $100,000 in profit last year. Next year, I want to double my profit. Mm. The normal thing everyone says is, okay, well, go from a million to two million in sales, and now you'll have 200,000 in profit. Mm. A couple of things wrong with that. One, that's a lot of work. Yes. (laughs) Two, when you do that, more than likely, your profit goes down because you start to lose sight of the bigger picture. And you ramp your marketing up, obviously, too. You've probably ramped your marketing up, which is a big cost. Exactly. So what I tell business owners is, why don't we do something a lot simpler? Let's raise our prices 10%. Mm-hmm. So that immediately takes your profit from 100000 to 200000 without you doing any extra work. Yep. And let's cut our cost by about 10 or 11%. And that adds another 100000 to the bottom line. So just by cutting costs, raising prices, we went from 100000 to 300000 and now you can go home and enjoy your family. <laughs> That's hard work. And yeah, no, the, the crazy thing too is that number one, if you increase your prices, you have to get better at selling sometimes. So it improves your business overall. You have to get better at servicing because you're charging more in your own mind because some people can't struggle with that, right? They really struggle with the idea of increasing prices. Um, I, yeah. I think sometimes people undervalue what they deliver. 
I think most times they do. <laughs> I think my, I would say eighty percent of the time when you talk to someone, I said I said to a lot of clients, so you could double your price and it still wouldn't matter. In some cases, some businesses, you could double your prices and lose half your client base and still be okay. Well, wait. So we doubled our prices, we lost half our client base, so now we're working half as much and still taking home the same amount of money. Exactly. Actually, yeah. a lot more money. That's yeah, probably. <laughs> That's the yeah. kind of thinking that has to change. Yeah. Is, yeah. is understanding those concepts. Mm. But everyone's afraid to lose half their customers. Yeah. But they don't realize the people who leave are probably the ones who were the biggest problem. They, even though you lost half your customers, they were 80% of your time. Mm. Well, the old 80-20 rule, right? You know, 20% mm -hmm. of your time is spent with 80% of the, the, you know, like that. Oh, sorry, that's wrong anyway. 20% of your time is spent with the wrong customers mm -hmm. you know, in some respects. Because if, you know, like the big customers that hardly spend any money with you, spend a lot of time with them. The ones that you actually have never talked to, the ones that pay the most amount of money, I find. <laughs> you know, like, it's like you should reverse that because if you talk to them more, they might spend more money with you and you can get rid of the ones that actually don't really make money out of it for you at all. Yeah. And the bank has a system, like I worked for a bank for 10 years and they have a system doing that. They grade customers. And so if mm -hmm. they find a customer's high risk or pain, you know, pain in some respect, whatever, in their criteria, they increase their percentages of their overdrafts or whatever they're charging you because you actually get, you know, pain in the bum money charges, right? And, <laughs> and so you'll leave them because you go, oh, they're charging me too much, but the bank wanted you to leave. And if you didn't mm -hmm. leave, they're perfectly happy to take more, more interest from you. That's how you get rid of your worst customers, raise their prices. Mm. Yeah, because they usually come in on price, so they'll leave on price, right? <laughs> I used to have a saying with the staff, if, they, if, they st if, the, if the salary was the major reason they started with you, it would be the major reason why they'd leave you. Sounds very true. Mm. You got to sure. do it based on values. So um, when you sort of retired and, and moved into a, an online business, I'm guessing, um, so what did you, what, what inspired you to do that in the end? Like, was there a reason that you did it outside obviously um, working a lot of hours and getting, getting nowhere like most people eventually get them to? Yeah. I mean, I had a pretty good job. It was a high paying job. It was not very stressful or very, it wasn't a ton of hours. It just got to the point where the company was going through changes and I knew how they would behave. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not playing this game again. So that was part of it, I think. Um, I could have gone somewhere else and done the same thing. But I realized this isn't what I loved. And if I waited five years to start doing what I loved and I was really successful at it, I would be really mad at myself for giving up those five years. You know, the older you get, the more time becomes valuable mm -hmm. and the less yeah. money becomes valuable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for me, it was a time game. Um, it was, let's just go do this. Let's try it and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, what worst case scenario, you've got qualifications or, or got some stuff, you're always going to get a job again, can't you? Like, that's always what an emperor tells themselves. I think at the end of the day, you eventually become unemployable <laughs> because yeah. a normal employee wouldn't cop what you'd normally do as a self-employed person anyway, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you probably get better results, right? Like I read somewhere the other day, it said that the, the typical, and I still believe this is right, the typical nine to five scenario is, is so old fashioned when you think about it. It was designed to keep people in work in factories during the daylight hours, basically. It wasn't never designed to be mm -hmm. the, the perfect scenario that eight hours work was actually, uh, you know, the right number. Um, no one really, know, you know, I think 
I think not much work gets done at work, I found, because of the first at KRSO, nothing was done because they were still getting there, you know, get waking up. And then the last hour was like thinking about going home. And so if you've got four hours a day out of them, I think you're being lucky, you know, in some respects. I And I don't worry about hours. I worry about results. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can I, you can get a result in an hour that, that can make a lot of money. I mean, I, I remember ringing up my, the tax office years ago when we had some tax debts and we rang them up and I, they said, oh, you played it back now, you're all good. I go, and, he, and then he says to me, he says, oh, um, you can get an interest refund now you've paid it back, you know that? And I go, yeah. And I said, yeah. He said, you just got to ask me for it. And I go, okay. So I said, okay, well, how much, you know, what's some interest refund? He said, well, just thank you for asking. We have a little look. And he comes back and says, oh, how's $18,000 sound? And I go, what? And so that was a now conversation that made $18,000. I could have like the, the next three months off theoretically. <laughs> and I was like, you made enough money in an hour. So I think sometimes those quality, the quality of the conversation, I think, is what it comes down to. Like that, having that quality conversation with someone that's of some sort of value like that. Um, yeah. Which means you have to listen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, they say they give you two ears and one mouth, but the, <laughs> I don't think anybody figures that one out. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever given to someone in terms of, you know, a client or? So what I do is profit first, mm-hmm. and profit first changes everything. So everyone is taught, you're an accountant, you know, you work in the accounting field. We're all taught sales minus expenses equals profit. Yes. So profit's a leftover. What we teach our clients is sales minus profit equals expenses. Hmm. So you take your profit first and you constrain constrain your spending because every single one of the business owners that I work with has the same problem. They spend too much. Hmm. Oh, I get it. It's a business expense. Oh, I need this. I need that. This shiny object, that shiny. Like, <laughs> enough. Stop spending so much money. You're wasting most of it. Hmm. And you're spending out of the bank account when it's got cash in it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, then, then then there's no cash in it because you spent the money. It makes a lot of sense. And I think the thing is what people tend to do too is they'll look at the profit and they'll kind of make it a like, oh, I'll make 10% of my turnover as a profit. So they'll try and increase their sales theoretically to get more money. And the reality is, is that's a hard job in some respects. If you're not, if you're, particularly if you're just going out and spending money on marketing or whatever, you're going to spend more money on and probably make less profit as a result. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Control your destiny and create a complete business system for your online business. Evolvepreneur.app offers an easy and cost-effective way to build your online business by helping you avoid the pain and stress of implementing multiple systems, giving you the freedom to automate and scale. Support our sponsor by grabbing a free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at Evolvepreneur.app. Rapid growth results in business failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. that's the thing nobody wants to hear. Yeah. Your top line might look great. Yeah. And your profit might even look great, but your cash flow might be imploding. Yeah. And before you even know it, you're sucker punched and out of business. Hmm. And it's interesting when I was working with this accounting company that they actually they used to put thirty percent increase in sales every year. That was the increase they had to get. On everybody, the entire this is sage, right? They actually had this, and I probably still do thirty percent growth year on year. That's a massive number, and so that people would do all sorts of weird things to try and meet those numbers. But the reality was is that wasn't a, a sustainable thing. And what would happen is that CEO of that division would get the sacks six months later because he didn't achieve his sales goals, and they put someone else in. 
And so it was a constant turnstile of people. And you look at that and you think that's just unsustainable, you know, as a, as a business thing. And I think, but the reasoning behind it probably wasn't what they thought it was. The reasoning behind it was possibly to get to make the shareholders like it, like the business go, look at the growth we've done, right? We've grown this business and, you know, who cares about the profits? Like nobody looks at that as long as they get their dividends, right? But they're not looking at the bottom line. They're looking at the top, as you say, looking at revenue, trying to make revenue look sexy when really profit's sexy. <laughs> so we talk about that. Top, top line is vanity. Mm. Bottom line is sanity. And cash flow is reality. But everyone looks at the vanity number and it's just not good. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of money lost in sales. I mean, I, I look at the years that I've sort of done it. We've probably done $20, 30000000 million worth of sales in these businesses over years. But how much of that do you actually end up getting to keep? Not a lot many times. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you find your ideal client? Like what's your current um, strategy looking for your ideal client? That's a, usually a hard one for most small business. So I have uh, three paths for clients. One is referral partners. Mm -hmm. One is networking. And the third is podcast. So my podcast is essentially a funnel that people come and listen to. And I, I do nothing but teach and share. And some people say, hey, I like this guy. I've been listening to him. He makes a lot of sense. And I just don't want to do this. I'd rather pay somebody to do it. And it sounds like he knows what he's doing because he's been sharing all this great information. Mm. So the three all go together. And that's kind of how it, it works out well for me. Sounds nice. And, and yeah, obviously, yeah, it's a nice way to kind of show what you can do before mm -hmm. in advance, really. So people get the impression that, you know, they, they can understand if you, you can talk about stuff, then they, they know you, you must know about it. Correct. And I have my competitors on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my clients on. So, yeah, they get to see the real picture. Yeah, yeah. And and, and probably spend more time with them than they would have normally anyway, in, in, particularly in a pre-sales environment too, because, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't get the experience, you know. And, like and they're going to you know. they're gonna learn everything that I tell my clients and I share it all with them and then it's up to them. Like, if you can do it yourself, great. Congrats. Go do it. Mm. Glad I could help. So are you doing their accounts work or are you more, more looking at their strategically looking at what they're doing and, and sort of coaching around that? Is that what you normally do? We're doing the strategic work. So I'm digging into their accounting. Like we talked about before, nobody's looking at their financial reports. I'm looking at them. I'm going, hey, your profit margins are off. You're like, I can look at somebody and go, you have a pricing problem. Mm. Oh, you have a spending problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have a um, a sourcing problem, like you're paying too much for your goods. Like, let's shift the way you do things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can tell within the business owner what his major problem is. Big part of it is accountability. Mm -hmm. A big part of it is awareness. And, you know, we sit together. I tell them what happened. I show them what can happen. We figure out how to make a change. And then I hold them accountable to the change. So do you find a lot of them, and I used to find this a little bit, is that the reporting in the first place was bad? So that the actual yeah. extraction of the expenses, so you'd find this big expense account and you go, what's in here? And it's like, I mean, it's just, a, everybody's chucked things in there. They're not, it hasn't been properly coded in terms of what it's supposed to be. 
and it, you know, in, in, it's mis, misreporting the numbers in some cases. I find mistakes all the time. All the time. And I bring them up to them and they share it with their bookkeeper or accountant or whatever. And we fix it. But yeah, I see mistakes all the time. Mm. It's normal. And I think the danger is that, you know, people have bookkeepers that, that they've hired to do work and find out that they actually, and I found this a lot when, when I was implementing accounting systems, is they'd come in and you, and you start asking questions and the bookkeeper would get very stressed because the bookkeeper's knowledge level wasn't what you thought they were because there was also smoke and mirrors thing going on where basically you thought they knew what they were doing, but actually they were just coding things, whatever they thought was the best thing. And I had a client just recently like that. He, I've been pushing for a decent set of accounts so we can actually manage their business properly. And basically the, the bookkeeper in the end rang him in tears. And it's like, she's under pressure now. Like you can tell, and I said, I've been through this so many times. It's always the data entry people that get very stressed because they know that they're probably doing it wrong. And rather than just saying, okay, well teach me, show me, they get panicky and they'll quit or they'll try and change them or they'll try and sabotage the whole thing. I've seen that a lot. So what I'm seeing now is everyone is relying on automation, Mm -hmm. but the automation's broken. And so things are just showing up in places they don't belong and they're not double checking. They're just clicking a box, send it wherever, and they move along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Think about this. If 98% of people aren't looking at the reports, they're getting away with it 98% of the time. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, QuickBooks has got a great little feature where you can actually record, you know, like save a transaction and get it to learn it next time. But I train my guys to say, yeah. look at that and ask the question, is that right? That I think that to me is, is that right? When you Before you click that button? <laughs> and that is where the problem. Somebody accidentally memorizes a transaction the wrong way, mm. or it's a type of transaction that can come in a multitude of different ways. And yes. the next thing you know, you've got a disaster. I mm. see that all the time. And and you're making decisions about that too, then as well, you know, like you're actually making could be could actually be imposing on themselves. I, I remember last year or early this year, I decided to buy a new car, and and I I sort of set the target of what I wanted to pay per month, and then I looked into my in the thing, so I need to find five hundred dollars a month in expenses that I don't get rid of to pay for at least a fair chunk of this, and you know, probably took me two hours, and I've I found five hundred dollars. And it's like, there you go. So you then so you pay for yourself. So I think some cases like set yourself an exercise and expenses and go looking for things to see what you can do to decrease it. And chances are you can pay for something and cost you nothing ultimately. And that's probably the better way to do it than as you say, spend the money and then you still got those expenses coming through that you could have got rid of. I wish I found the fifteen bucks now, it's still sticking in my neck now. They didn't buy that fifteen dollars when I'm looking. <laughs> you have to you every so often you really need to dig deep. Mm. Mm. Um, and and I think businesses do it, don't they? They get in there with the razor blade and they, they run through their business and they cut a lot of expenses. And I think that's the, the thing that a small business are reluctant to do um, in terms of firing staff or, or making those bigger decisions that they think might, might impact them. And, mm. so, yeah. so what's your goal for the next 12 months? What, what's your plans in your business? Have you got I, obviously not, not a massive growth? <laughs> No, I my business is at this point it's it's essentially full. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy with with that level. Uh, level two now. Um, we have a course that mm-hmm. teaches how to do profit first. 
So I think the goal going forward is to start promoting that a bit more. I haven't really been spending much time promoting it and we're going to continue to promote it, beef it up and add to it and really allow the smaller business owner who can't afford my services to be able to learn and do it on their own. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's about impact. I think as you get older, you realize that the more impact you make and and the trouble with Mm -hmm. one-on-one is very slow and you're only impacting the people who really want to change in some respects. You know, the other people probably might change if they actually had some more information, right? People will change their attitudes with more information, but if they can't afford it, then they're not really going to spend it. Correct. And so I think what we're trying to do is offer something at that lower price point to help people. So you're going to write a book then? Because plenty of books, you've read plenty of books. No, well, the book is already written. Mike wrote the book, Profit First. I, I am not, I realize the amount of work that goes into writing a book. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? It's, it just doesn't excite me. For me, the podcast is much more fun. Mm. So you're actually writing a book every time you do a podcast, ultimately, because you're actually almost writing the chapters. Um, In some effects, what we've seen some people do, which which is probably not a bad idea, is to just take the transcriptions of the podcast and make that the book and just publish the book. Um, And and that's, you know, like in some respects, that's a way to kind of do a book without actually having to write a book. Um, And people find value in it because basically it's, you know, some people like to read rather than listen anyway. Correct. Yeah, and so that's one one possibility, and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm in no rush to to write a book because I realize how much work it is. <laughs> <laughs> and writing the book is only ten percent. Promoting the book is the other ninety percent, which is even more work that I do not want to do. Yeah, fair enough, because I mean, at the end of the day, like you, you, I think without um, some sort of reasoning for doing books and stuff like that, and if you haven't got a desire to do it, then ultimately, you know, writing it almost just becomes an ego thing. And I think you know a lot of people want to leave, you know write a book for a legacy point, and it's not. It's better writing a logic book and actually having a reason for writing it. Um, I mean, a lot of times we do is we we make we make sure that people can write books without actually writing a single word. We've got a, a method for yeah. doing that, and I think that's you know that's the strategy. I think the whole concept of seeing and writing a book could take years to write a good book. Yes, would take or a great book will take you two three years. Um, you know, and it's not not an easy process in that respect. If you write a good book, you can do that in probably ninety days. But you, to write a great book, you need time. You do. Cool. So. Um, What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given in terms of your side of things? I mean, I, I've always had this concept that every year I come up with something that I, I should you know consider by, and one of the things was I always say three advice is worth every cent. <laughs> and, and so, and because what I realised was a lot of people will um, take your advice, you know, you'll give them advice, your advice over the top of them, they don't do anything because actually there's no reason for them to take to attention to what you just told them. <laughs> You know, I think the biggest learning thing for me was, and it comes back to what we were just talking about. If it's going to take somebody two to three years to write a good book, don't even blink an eye at dropping 20 bucks on it Mm. and just look for one or two takeaways Mm. Mm. and go implement them. Like it is the, the best, cheapest results you can get anywhere. And I think too that you know, like going to like training or networking events or or some sort of educational scenario, people go in there thinking they're going to change their life, 
And I always think if I can get one thing out of an event, like you go in, you know, like a new client or learn something or some just one thing, that's plenty. Like you, you mm-hmm. can't even implement, you're flat pressed implementing one or two things anyway. Like you, someone give you 30 things to do tomorrow. Rarely will anybody do 30 things. <laughs> no one wants 30 things. Everybody wants one or two things. And mm. that's all you really need. Yeah. One little thing can make a difference. I think at the end of the day, right? You don't need um, to, to do a million things. It's just one little thing. And as you say, like, you know, I found like in some cases what I've always done in my business to a degree is double my double my prices every few years and half my client base. Yeah. And and that works. Yeah. It works, right? And and you and less stress and less hurry. And I think that's the the big takeaway for most entrepreneurs is that don't take on everybody thinking that that's going to work because at the end of the day, like you're going to end up in a situation where you're just going to have 80% of those people are not going to be profitable customers. No. You miss out on the nice 20% that actually, you know, you've forgotten about and you've let them go because you're too busy with the complainers and they're not getting any money. (laughs) (laughs) That makes total sense. And I think I'm very much going to follow in those footsteps as well. Right. Nice work. It's funny how we all come to the same place, I think. I think it's like, it's almost like, you know, you go through this whole cycle of, of, of entrepreneurship and I think that everybody goes through the exact same cycle. The market pushes and punches you around. So like I said, the great saying, I reckon, the great Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And then suddenly, suddenly they go, whoa, now what am I going to do? So, yeah, cool. So I really appreciate your time, Rocky, Rocky coming along. It's, um, you know, a lot of insights into, I think, what you do at the other end of it um, and, and get there faster rather than just simply try to, um, you know, like, as you say, increase revenues and get that vanity there. So it makes a lot of sense. So really appreciate your time. And, um, and we'll put your website up. So that's, uh, what's your, your um, website? That's called? ProfitComesFirst.com. ProfitComesFirst.com. Cool. No worries. And we'll put the links up for everything else as well that, that you've given us and um, encourage the listeners to have a little look at it. And, and um, you know, I think you make a lot of sense. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here tonight, John. Very much enjoy chatting. That's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for Nippinors. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review. Please also consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. Until next time, if you're an entrepreneur, make a start on your next great business idea today.